This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to Disabled Persons Assembly's notable radio show. DPA is the voice of all disabled people, whether the disability be physical, sensory, learning, psychosocial or age-related. Over the next half hour, we'll discover how we can work collaboratively to achieve inclusion for all New Zealanders. DPA's notable radio show, a whole new attitude. Kira Taito, everyone. Welcome to Disabled Persons Assembly Notable Radio for our first show of 2022, this Friday, January the 7th, 2022. Welcome one, welcome all. I hope you had a good Christmas and indeed a great new year as we welcomed in 2022. To begin the year, as I said on the last program, we will be hearing a major interview that I did with a key UK or United Kingdom-based disability activist in the form of Paula Peters. Paula Peters co-founded alongside a number of other disability activists in the UK, a group called DPAC, or Disabled People Against the Cuts. In this interview, she talks about the issues that have confronted disabled people in the United Kingdom, as well as their families and support networks, since the election of the Conservative government way back in 2010. She begins to outline the story from there and then takes us through what has been indeed a harrowing decade for disabled people in that country. A country which, by the way, was one of the countries in which the disability rights movement originally took root. So this is great listening. I urge you to listen in to the interview again, and I'll see you at the end of the interview. Firstly, just to give a bit of background to you, What activist roles have you played over the years and how did you come into the disability activist space? Um, Well, I began when I was nine years old, um, back in um, 1980. And um, basically, um, I was having hydrotherapy and in my local hospital. We have the National Health Service system here. So um, our healthcare at the moment is paid through via taxation through national insurance. And um, I was diagnosed with hypermobility joint syndrome, which means um, your joints dislocate easily and I wasn't able to walk properly. So my doctors decided hydrotherapy. So exercise, physio in the water would be really beneficial to me. And I had a year's hydrotherapy then. And within a year, we heard that the hydrotherapy pool was going to close. And, um, you know, I was devastated by this because I owed the hydrotherapy and physio staff a lot. And um, so the community decided to come together, including myself. And we ran a campaign to um, keep the hydrotherapy pool open. But because the most of the hospital was being demolished and sold off for housing, we had to fundraise, um, and this was back then, um, nearly, yeah, just over half a million um, UK sterling. So you're probably looking about a million um, New Zealand uh, dollars, I think it is. 
And um, so we had about 18 months to raise the money to keep the pool from closing. And we managed to do that. Um, We had an awful lot of support and petitions and what have you. And today the pool um, serves one million um, people in South East London. So that was the first campaign I got involved in. So around the the NHS was the first. And... um, Later in life, when I was in my 20s, um, I was working for the UK government and unfortunately I had a mental health breakdown at my desk and sadly I lost my job and I was hospitalised and I got involved in the mental health survivor movement. I hated um, the big pharmaceuticals who were, um, you know, numbing um, people in mental distress up on very high toxic medication which is what I was on and I saw dreadful psychological abuse on the inpatient wards in a psychiatric setting so I wanted to do something about that and I got involved um, I was under day hospital treatment so I was having daily therapy and I was heard that was going to close so I ran the campaign to try and keep that going and I got involved in a lot of local campaigning um, to help mental health survivors um, know what their rights are and fight back. So we campaigned for um, community mental health teams, um, patients having more of a say in their care, things like that, really. And then, um, you know, jump to 2010, um, which is when we had a coalition government then get elected, Um, which is Conservative and Lib Dems coming together, which was catastrophic for disabled people. Um, You know, I got involved on a more national scale on campaigning. So, you know, and I've always been a passionate trade unionist. Um, Anyway, I come from a long history of trade unionism. Um, My grandmother um, was a nurse and she met Nye Bevan, the founding father of our NHS state. So my family have given 70 years service to the NHS. Um, trade unionism is part of um, my makeup. And so, yeah, I'm a disability rights activist and trade unionist. That is a very good background. And by the way, too, we do have a hydrotherapy pool. We've been working to save here in Dunedin for many, many years. It's still open. However, it's still shut at the moment because of COVID yeah. but and other things that have been going on but anyway that's a very interesting story that you tell there now that's a very nice segue as well into the next question about the experience of disabled people living in the UK over the last 10 years since the last since the Tory government came into office can you tell us about that and just some of the things that have happened for and to disabled people in the UK? Um, Well, we have to start back in 2010 when the coalition government came into power. And the first thing that George Osborne, who was the Chancellor at the time, and David Cameron, who was our Prime Minister at the time, um, ushered in a period of austerity. They said the country had no money. And um, so what they did was they took £18 off the um, welfare budget and um, including eight billion of social care support. So disabled people have been at the forefront of some of the fiercest austerity cuts in the last 11 years, which has had a catastrophic impact on disabled people's lives. Um, 
we've had uh, the closure of the independent living fund which was an independent pot of money to help disabled people with very high support needs stay independent at home with personal assistance um, that was um, closed back in 2015 so um, disabled people who are reassessed for social care had up to 60% of their social care packages cut which meant that many were unable to um, continue with say working um, were unable to do the most menial of um, with support tasks many were um, had their night support taken from them uh, many were given nappies um, and just lived, left in nappies overnight and um, you know given four nappies a month and everything like that that has had um, a catastrophic impact alone um, cuts to community services so the welfare rights benefits offices have gone um, sure start centers for children have gone um, just you know the everyday massive cuts to transport systems so the access budgets so to make train stations um, accessible to um, you know all of that has been cut but it's the um, cuts to benefits um, the access to work which is a pot of money to help disabled people into employment has been cut there's been massive cuts to jobs which has impacted on disabled people um, the huge cuts to social care which means that there's been massive job um, cuts especially with Brexit which you know the UK um, voted for back in 2016 um, we're having huge problems with freedom of movement from Europe into the UK. Um, most of our care sector in the UK is made up of um, EU nationals who come to the UK to work. And many disabled people who've had personal assistance um, from Eastern European countries who've worked with disabled people for 30 years have lost that support network that's had massively devastating impacts but i'd say the massive overhaul of the welfare state which has seen disabled people constantly reassessed for the work capability assessment if you're not working um personal independence payments and sadly it's cost many lives the constant stress of benefit assessments the constant assess um stress of social care assessments you know what it's done it's plunged disabled people further into poverty in the UK and um, you know we we're in a very very difficult but and very dark period um, of fighting this government at the moment and we've got a government that is absolutely vile and there's no other way to describe what kind of government we have in the UK many people may think Boris Johnson is funny or a clown but he's not he's, he's ruthless he's nasty and what we've seen um, in the last 11 years is a massive rise of um, discrimination disabilism racism homophobic attacks it seems to be here in the UK um, openly acceptable to be racist, um, disabledist, homophobic, and it, it's a, it's a very much a global problem. And obviously, we spoke before we went on air. Climate change is also having a huge problem um, impact on disabled people with pollution and um, 
especially in London where I live, we've had a couple of disabled people die because of the high rise of pollution in London. You know, we've got a, a scheme, you know, the ultra um, low emission zone, which is impacting on disabled people able to drive because they can't afford £12. What would that be in New Zealand dollars? About That would be about $25 or thereabouts. Yeah, that's $25 a day they've got to pay to use their car in London, right? On top of, you know, fuel charges and everything. And also, I think, you know, during the pandemic, disabled people have been very much hit by rising costs in energy, rising costs in food, you know, not able to get the support they needed during the pandemic, told to stay at home and shield. And that has had, you know, not getting the support they need has cost many, many lives in the UK as well. It's a catalogue of horror that I've read about, heard about. It's just been absolutely astonishing, and you've had to live through this for the last yeah. 11 years. Anyway, what actions have been taken by yourself and others down the last decade, and how effective have they been? Um, well, I joined um, Disabled People Against Cuts, um, DPAC for short, back in 2012. And one of the first campaigns we did was about welfare reform. Um, we were very concerned about the cuts to benefits and all the support that um, the £18 billion pounds they were going to take off um, to support disabled people. So we had a huge campaign um to highlight the impact of the Welfare Reform Act of 2011. And one of the best ways DPAC um, has been actually does, we do a very huge campaign of civil disobedience or direct action. And we feel one of the best ways for disabled people is to be as visible as possible on the streets fighting back. But also we back that up with a huge social media campaign because we know not every disabled person is able to participate out on the street so we want to make sure our actions are as inclusive as possible so two of, the, two of our first actions were um, the um, roadblock outside parliament and um, Oxford Circus where we stopped the traffic for um, two to three hours and some of our members got arrested and then de-arrested um, then we moved on to, you may have heard of the um, huge um, disability benefit assessment company called ATOS, which is a global con conglomeration. You may have heard of them in New Zealand. So we ran a campaign because we had the Olympics um, back in 2012 and the Paralympics, and they sponsored the Paralympics ATOS, despite the fact we were having huge problems with assessments with them. Mm. So we ran a campaign called ATOS Kills, um, to highlight the, the appalling impact of the outcome of assessments with the work capability assessment. And um, we had huge demonstrations outside their offices, assessment centres, and we had a huge demonstration outside the Paralympic Stadium in London, in East London. And the Paralympians, in solidarity with this, hit the vanyards with the Atos name in it, they actually, and when George Osborne came to speak at that, he was actually booed by everybody in the stadium. <laughs> they were starting to see what was happening. Um, 
we've had a huge media blackout with trying to get the word out with what's been happening to us. The media won't touch us because most of our media are, you know, the BBC is state owned, so they support the government. And obviously a lot of our media are huge um, donors to the, the ruling party, which is a Tory party at the moment. So we've had to be creative in some of the actions. Then in um, 2013, they introduced the bedroom tax. So if you had a spare bedroom in your property and you were getting housing benefit, so you needed a spare bedroom for a carer to stay overnight, you lost some of your support. So we went to Ian Duncan Smith's house, who was the um, Department of Work and Pensions Secretary, and we put an eviction notice on his door. We found out where he lived, and we put an eviction notice on his door, and we occupied his grounds and filmed it. And every time the government tried to take it down, the film footage, we put it back up. Then in 2014, um, we had a huge campaign to save the Independent Living Fund, um, we had a court case. We've taken the government's court numerous times. A few times we've won. A lot of times we haven't, but we've taken the government's court. So we've had to learn the law to beat them at their own laws. Um, so we had this huge campaign to save the ILF. And um, it resulted in a very a couple of visible actions. Um, we occupied Westminster Abbey's grounds, which is our huge huge cathedral you may have seen it on the news oh, and have royal weddings and everything there and we had a huge action there where we occupied the grounds of Westminster Abbey to force the debate between church and state because Westminster Abbey is the Queen's church so that's right we were trying to force the debate so we chained ourselves to the church railings and we had 350 police officers um, charged the grounds and they were armed and they kettled us and um, there was a standoff or a sit-in for us because we use equipment um, to um, force the debate. Um, we trended all over Twitter and Facebook and we um, got a mention um, from the Glastonbury stage actually around that action and um, we had Pride around that time. London Pride is around the end of June. And um, so many people come to support us. Then in 2015, we had more cuts. We had a, we had a Tory uh, majority government then. How on earth that happened, we can't tell you, but it did. And George Osborne ushered in more social care cuts and more benefit cuts for us. So we had a, we decided to ramp it up even further. And on the 23rd of June, 2015, we stormed Parliament for the right for independent living. So we nearly got into the House of Commons chamber during Prime Minister's questions. And um, we were all over the news and, you know, just everywhere. Everybody, we literally come out of Parliament when we shut Parliament for two to three hours, went out into Westminster, blocked the roads around there, and then we blocked them all the way up to um, number 10 Downing Street. That was one of the best actions then yeah. we had there was a budget three weeks after that called balls to the budget and um so we made a great big um 20 meter banner which said balls to the budget so it was our way of telling george osborne we weren't going to take it and we stuck a big two fingers up to did a huge banner drop right across parliament told mps took out the window 
and we shut Westminster Bridge off for like an hour and a half. We were doing things like that before Extinction Rebellion were doing things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And disabled people have a long and proud history of taking direct action for equality and social change. That's really decades globally, you know. We're not ones to run from a fight. So, yeah, that's some of our actions. And then in 2016, we had a huge action to highlight... um, the appalling outcome of um, the benefit assessment. So we had a memorial on Westminster Bridge. We shut the bridge down again. And, um, yeah, it's been a lot of direct action, blocking bridges, occupying Parliament, shutting roads, having creative actions where we've owned the space to tell the government, we're here, we're not frightened of you, Um, we're fighting back, basically. We're in a very, let's just say, if you've not read... Ellen Clifford's book, The War on Disabled People, who's a fellow activist um, and friend of mine, I would say read that book and then you'll get a really big overview of what we're in against this government. We are in a war with this government. That is basically what this is. I'm going to buy and order that book and get it to New Zealand. So thank you for mentioning that that again. Anyway, we are coming, running out of time. And anyway, finally, is there any cause for hope on the horizon or not? There's always hope. As long as um, you're prepared to take action, you can bring about, you know, social change. The thing is, I think it was John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn, and they've always been big supporters of us. And we're really gutted they never got elected. You know, I know. 2017, they were so close, you know, so close. Um, but John McDonnell always said this. He said, change doesn't happen in Parliament. It happens in our streets. It happens in our communities. It happens on our street corners. He said, debate doesn't take place in Parliament. It happens on our streets, in our communities. He said, you bring about the change, you force it into Parliament. You know, what we've done is we've really highlighted the impact of what's happening by this government. But also we thought, you know, we have fought on our own terms and given them a lot of headaches. And I think, you know, yeah. We're in a huge battle, but you've got to cling to hope because if you have no hope, you know, and I think my favourite line out of Shawshank Redemption, I think it always comes to me, you know, you know, hope is a good thing and no good thing ever dies, you know, and activism is a good thing. And if you've got someone who's prepared to fight and you bring about the change that makes good, not only for you, but for others, and that's a good thing and you have to cling to that. That was Paula Peters from the Disabled People Against Cuts movement in the UK, who was speaking to me from London, UK, just earlier or later, actually, in November, early December, around that time. As you've probably heard, she was talking about the experiences of disabled people in the United Kingdom since the election of their Conservative government in 2010. We're back on deck now as DPA for the year. I'm available to be contacted again. If you need to get in contact with me, please contact me via my email address, which is Dunedin. Put that as a capital D as well, Dunedin, D 
Dunedin at dpa.org.nz. Dunedin at dpa.org.nz. We look forward to having your company again on our next show, which will air on Friday, January the 21st. By the way, as ever, if you've missed any past programs, then you can go to the Otago Access Radio website and download a podcast or to the Internet Access Radio app, which you can also download from any good app store and put on your phone or other device and listen to us there. See you all on January the 21st at 1.30pm for another edition of DPA, Disabled Persons Assembly, Notable Radio. Ka kite anō. Disabled Persons Assembly is Aotearoa New Zealand's first pan-disability organisation, acting as the voice of all disabled people, whether the disability be physical, sensory, learning, psychosocial or age-related. Dunedin meetings are held on the second Wednesday of each month and we can provide free transport assistance and a New Zealand Sign Language interpreter when required. If you'd like to know more, call Chris Ford on 476-7579 or 027-696-0872 and you'll find our national website at www.dpa.org.nz Disabled Persons Assembly, a whole new attitude. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.